This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The United States Supreme Court is issuing its final rulings for the current court session. The rulings are announced every Monday in the month of June. Still to be revealed is the case of the Bladensburg Cross, a World War I memorial in the shape of the Celtic Cross. An atheist group wants it removed because the memorial stands on public property. Should they win the case, such monuments across the country at places such as the Arlington National Cemetery might be in danger. The case is being defended by the First Liberty Institute and First Liberty Deputy General Counsel Jeremy Dice and I discuss the implication of the case on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. The Supreme Court announced Monday it will not take up a legal dispute by atheist groups that sought to remove the words, In God We Trust, from U.S. currency. Michael Newdown, an atheist activist who filed the suit, argued that the law to inscribe the nation's motto on U.S. money was a violation of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which prohibits Congress from establishing a national religion. Also on Monday, U.S. Senators Roy Blunt of Missouri, Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, and James Imhoff of Oklahoma announced the Adoption Tax Credit Refundability Act. That's legislation that makes the current adoption tax credit fully refundable. The adoption tax credit was made permanent in the American Taxpayer Relief Act in January 2013. However, that law did not extend the refundability provisions that applied to adoption tax credits in 2010 and 2011. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, about one-third of all adopted children live in families with annual household incomes at or below 200% of the poverty level. Despite the common misperception that only wealthy families adopt, nearly 46% of children adopted from foster care live in families with incomes at or below 200% the federal poverty level. Many of these families' income taxes are so low that they cannot benefit from the adoption tax credit at all unless it's refundable. A Christian boarding school run by Teen Rescue in Northern California faces the possibility of closing after it was raided by state investigators early this year. The head of the school claims that its First Amendment rights, as well as parental rights, are being violated. Riverview Christian Academy, which serves to help troubled teens from across the U.S., has faced pressure from the California Department of Social Services for more than a decade over claims that it operates as an unlicensed community care facility. Although the school has maintained through the years that schools are exempt from community care facility regulations, a law passed in 2016 requires many alternative boarding schools in the states to attain community care licensing. But in order to attain that licensing, the school fears it would not be able to uphold the rules reflecting traditional Christian teachings on marriage and sexuality. 
Additionally, the school says that the state requires licensed facilities to allow students to have the right to engage in spiritual and sexual exploration. According to a lawsuit filed against DSS, a team of 16 armed law enforcement officers from the California Highway Patrol, two canine units, and 17 social workers searched the school on January the 18th. The state later admitted that the raid was prompted by an article online from a left-leaning tabloid that made the investigators think that the school was housing illegal drugs and stockpiling weapons in preparation for an end-times apocalypse. Although the raid did not result in the discovery of any drugs or firearms, the school says that DSS then began imposing daily fines of about $200 for operating as an unlicensed community care facility under the Community Care Facilities Act of 2016. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The United States Supreme Court is issuing its final decisions this month on cases for this current session. One of those cases is known as the Bladensburg Cross case. It involves a 100-year-old cross at a World War I memorial. But an atheist group says the cross must go because it constitutes establishment of religion. The war memorial is being defended by First Liberty Institute, and First Liberty's Deputy General Counsel, Jeremy Dice, is my guest today. Mr. Dice, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Mr. Dice, can you give us some background on the Bladensburg case? Uh, what actually is involved here? Well, back in 1919, on the, on the, at the end of World War I, some Gold Star mothers, mothers who had lost 49 of their sons in Prince George's County, Maryland, they got together and decided to honor the memory of their sons because they knew at that time that we tend to forget things that we do not see. And they were worried that they would lose, that we would lose the memory of these war heroes, these young men who died defending our freedom in World War One. And so by 1925, the American Legion had worked with the Gold Star Mothers to erect a memorial to those 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland, who died in World War One. And they erected this memorial in the shape of the, the, the same shapes that were guarding the graves of those young men over in Europe, a Celtic cross. And it stood there with no problems until 19, or I'm sorry, until about five years ago, or maybe seven years ago now, when somebody finally decided to be offended by the presence of this memorial appearing on public property in a place called Memorial Park, where there are, I don't know, four, five, six different veterans' memorials there. And they filed a lawsuit, and uh, on it goes to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, where the Fourth Circuit says that it is, in fact, unconstitutional, and even suggests that maybe we should make it constitutional by removing the arms of this memorial. Well, that's unconscionable to us and our clients, the American Legion. And so on behalf of the American Legion, we filed an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. The court heard appeals on that back in February. And now we're just waiting to find out the fate of this Veterans Memorial. And not just this Veterans Memorial, but memorials like it all over the country, whether or not they're going to have to be knocked down to the ground simply because they invoke religious imagery in in remembering war heroes lost in uh, some of our greatest wars. Should you lose this case, would there be a danger, for example, to uh, Arlington National Cemetery? A very great danger. As a matter of fact, the Fourth Circuit covers not just Maryland, which is where this memorial stands today, but maybe seven miles from where it is standing today is Arlington National Cemetery. And you have there the Argonne Cross, which was given by the nation of France in memory of the men who fought and died in their woods in World War One. You have the Canadian Cross of Sacrifice given by the nation of Canada to remember those Americans who fought with Canada before America entered the war. You even have the Tomb of the Unknowns, which 
actually Gold Star Mothers came up with that idea back in World War One. It's a World War One memorial and has that that famous inscription on the side that talks about a, a soldier lying there whose remains are known but to God. Well, goodness gracious, even even uh, Bobby Kennedy's grave is in Ted Kennedy's grave. They have a, a cross, a, a Latin cross, as headstones in Arlington National Cemetery, right next to the brother brothers memorial, uh, right there in Arlington as well. The, the point is that if this case is decided wrongly, if the Supreme Court allows the Bladensburg World War One Veterans Memorial to be knocked down, it will set loose a religious cleansing across the countryside, tearing down monuments and memorials all over the country that dare to invoke the religious as we remember our war dead. Is the argument being made that the cross is not actually a religious symbol, but one of a memorial? Well, look, I think it's difficult to separate the, the, uh, the, the, the shape of it itself that has a religious connotation to it, but we understand at, throughout history that we've used crosses to commemorate our war dead. I mean, that is a universal symbol of service and sacrifice, and it has been for, for centuries at this point. And, and if you go back throughout history and look at the, the pictures of Flanders Fields and, and of all the makeshift memorials that were there in the countryside in, in, on the, the eastern front of the war, the western front of the war, uh, it's very clear to see that uh, that these men were buried under crosses all over the country, all over Europe. In fact, uh, there's a very famous picture of Teddy Roosevelt's son who died in World War One, buried under a Celtic cross, and that's exactly what these mothers chose to remember their sons by. Uh, and the unique thing about this memorial, as you think through it all, is that these men are listed in alphabetical order. Uh, and this is at a time when uh, race relations were just uh, actually awful, of course. And months after, just a month after the memorial was dedicated, there was the Klan march on Washington, 30,000 Klan members walking on Washington, D.C. Well, on this memorial, there are men who were segregated in battle but are united alphabetically on this memorial, African and American and white soldiers alike on this memorial, because they chose to, to, to defend our freedom and, and, and died as war heroes there. Uh, at the very least, we ought to respect the decision that these mothers made as a way to remember their sons. We even have one mother saying that this is her son's gravestone. Tearing down this memorial would be akin to just knocking down the gravestone to these 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland. Is the cross actually on public property, or was it originally, uh, my understanding is originally it was put on private property? Yeah, initially it was put up on uh, American Legion property, right beside a, a road, and that road is actually the National Defense, or the National Veterans Memorial Road, or I, I think I've butchered the name of the road, but it is itself a Veterans Memorial Road. It goes from D.C. to Annapolis. Well, that road, as, as you would expect, from 1925 to now, has become a little bit more traveled, and so they've had to expand that road. Uh, and so they did, but they, they couldn't knock down the memorial to, to put the road in there, so they decided instead to allow that land to stand there as public property and allow the memorial to stand right on it as well. So it's kind of an awkward intersection, but you know, if you're a golfer, you could easily take a, a chipping wedge and hit a Veterans Memorial for the War of 1812. It's a battle of Bladensburg that was fought right there on that property. You've got World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and even September 11th memorials that are all standing right there within just a stone's throw from the, the World War I memorial. This is what they call Veterans Memorial Park. Uh, and so now it is a part of the of the area of Bladensburg where this town goes to remember their, their war heroes. In fact, just a couple weeks ago on Memorial Day, there was a memorial service right there in the meeting of this road uh, for the, the, those men who had died uh, defending our freedom. So the problem now is that, yes, it's public property, 
but it's uh it, you can't have private property in the middle of an intersection like that so they can't actually deed it over in, in any way but nor should they have to the silliness of having to give away for a dollar to private property something that is clearly on public land is unnecessary it's perfectly acceptable for our government to remember those who fought and died defending our freedom with memorials just like this we just recently observed the 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion, the first step of the liberation of Western Europe from Nazi tyranny. I saw on television the American cemeteries over there, and they were dotted with crosses and also stars of David. Is this something that these people would object to as well? I mean, these people gave everything, and I don't understand the objection to desecrating their resting place. The only thing I can think of is that our proponents are hell-bent on wanting to erase the memory of the service and sacrifice uh, of these 49 fallen servicemen of Prince George's County, Maryland, and then take that to be able to destroy the memory of all the rest of those veterans. Like you said, right there, which is American soil in Normandy there, those uh, those stars of David, those crosses that are adorning the graves of those men who bravely uh, fought and died defending our freedom, uh, they would rather knock those things down. You know, Kip, when I was at the Supreme Court on February 27 listening to this argument, I was actually outside, and there was a rally outside there, and one of the people that was at the rally uh, took to the podium and was railing against this memorial. He, he called it like giving a middle finger to servicemen everywhere. And then he said, this memorial is like a gang symbol of Christianity. Well, if, if you're going to call memorials like middle fingers and gang symbols, you've not only jumped the shark, frankly, but you are absolutely hell-bent on desecrating gravestones like this. You, you, you don't care any longer about how these mothers suffered and lost their sons years ago. One mother found out on Christmas Day that her son had died in World War One, and this is the memorial that she erected for her son. It's the only memorial for her son in the United States, perhaps even in the world. And yet they would be perfectly content with knocking that memorial down. We cannot allow their memory to be erased like that. I noticed that the Supreme Court uh, did make one uh, uh, issued one statement earlier this uh, this month, stating that it is not going to be revealing a case by I believe it's the American Humanist uh, Association to try to strike the motto "In God We Trust" from our currency. Perhaps maybe this is an indication of how the court might go. Well, I certainly hope so, and it's an uh, indication, again, that uh, the Supreme Court has routinely rejected uh, threats to our national motto in phrases like under God and the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, these are perfectly consistent with our history and our heritage, and in that case, it was Michael Newdow who filed that appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States and once again was rejected by, by the justices there, because this is just a part of who we are. And for some reason, people just simply cannot abide by having any utterance of faith in public. And that includes Veterans Memorials like the, the Peace Cross there in Maryland. Uh, it's perfectly acceptable for our country to have these monuments, these memorials, these, these reminders of our history. And we shouldn't be surprised that we have religious memorials because we have been and are currently a rather religious people. It's no surprise then that we would have these types of markers in our public square. We are seeing a lot of cases now before the Supreme Court that are involving religious liberty and religious freedom. Are we seeing an upswing in the persecution of Christian cases? I just think we're seeing an upswing in religious persecution in general. And what's going on, really, is, is a real hostility towards religious belief at the hands of the government. In other words, we've got government officials, uh, administrative bureaucrats, that, 
that uh, want to be on the right side of whatever virtue signaling has to be going on today. And, and so what they're doing is really going overboard with their, their efforts to, uh, to impose an ideology on which many faithful Americans of many different religious stripes just simply cannot abide and frankly just want to be left alone to be able to engage their religious beliefs. But the winds of culture are such right now that they're blowing hot and heavy on those that would be attempt to be faithful in public. It starts with veterans memorials like this wanting to knock those down uh, as if they're you know, somehow uh, uh, offensive to be even seen in public. Uh, for goodness sakes, it's a veterans memorial. But it goes on to people like Aaron and Melissa Klein, our clients that are waiting right now to see if the Supreme Court's going to take their case, and whether they can operate their business according to their faith. Uh, no one should have to give up participation in the public square for having a sincerely held religious belief, and yet at the hands of the cultural elite right now, it seems like you have to either bend your knee to Caesar or abandon your faith. And, and that is just simply an untenable choice to be made. And it's striking, I think, both the large and the small issues. You know, we've already been discussing the Bladensburg case, which is a memorial to America's war dead, something that affects us all. But you also mentioned the case of Sweet Cakes by Melissa, where there's a family business, a man and a woman, who've been put out of business by these people. Can you go into that case a bit? Yeah, no, I mean, I think folks remember it, or at least know the basic outlines by now. Here's Aaron and Melissa Klein. Melissa's a great cake artist, I guess they call them now. Someone who has a real talent in, in creating very creative cakes. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't think it's a talent, go try to create one yourself, and you'll quickly see how uh, difficult it is. But uh, Melissa decided to do what most Americans do, a lot of Americans do anyway. They, they opened a small business, and they did that by using the talents that they had received from God. And that talent, in this case, was decorating wedding cakes. Well, this particular bakery was one that uh, did everything customized. There was nothing off the rack. It was all custom wedding cakes for, for their clients. And so she would sit down with the couple, and they would learn about it. She would pray over the cake as they were making it. She would pray for the marriage that the wedding was going to represent. So they were really participants in this, this wedding. And as a result of this behavior, as a result of this, they had a client come in and ask them for a cake that they had served before for their mother's uh, wedding cake. It was a remarriage situation, and she gladly made the cake. But this time it was for a same-sex wedding. Before the time, it was actually legal either in Oregon or the United States to have a same-sex wedding. And Aaron and Melissa politely declined. And the next thing they find is that they are the subject of an investigation by a very Orwellian-termed agency of the government called the Bureau of Labor and Industry. And a bully uh, investigated the case and, and found them guilty of discrimination and fined them, or penalized them rather, $135,000 for simply deciding to abide by their religious convictions rather than be forced to, uh, to, to, to violate those convictions. Yeah, no one should lose their business for simply operating it according to their faith. But that's exactly what Aaron Melissa's case stands for today. Well, so far, the courts have been adjudicating most of these issues, uh, some wins, some losses. But recently, the House of Representatives just passed an act called the Equality Act, which would essentially make uh, religious people bend to their will. Yeah, and, and what most Americans need to understand with that particular bill uh, thankfully, I think it will die in the Senate, and, and if it even went anywhere in the Senate, it would be vetoed by the president. But the, the, the real problem with that legislation is that, as you say, it, it number one, coerces individuals into uh, abandoning their religious beliefs in order to participate in the public square. But even more important than that, perhaps, is the fact that there is zero 
There is no protection. There are no exemptions. There are no accommodations for religious belief or behavior. We've gone now from uh, a First Amendment that protects inviolably the right of Americans to be able to exercise their faith freely wherever they may find themselves to a Congress led by uh, a leadership in that Congress right now that is uh, demanding that people abandon their religious beliefs if they want to walk into the public square. That is a very, very, very dangerous place for us to be as a society. And frankly, it is the very place we were when the Founding Fathers founded this great nation and said, we're not going to do that as a country. We're going to allow individuals to have their religious beliefs, have them differ if they wish, but we're going to protect them in the free exercise of that religion. Right now, it is no longer under that kind of an act. It is nothing short of forcing uh, individuals to not freely exercise their faith. Whatever the opposite of not free or free exercise is, is exactly what that bill is attempting to do. One argument I've heard from uh, people who support the Equality Act is the difference between religious freedom and religious worship. And they say, oh yeah, we, we support freedom of worship, which means it has to be restricted only to houses of worship, that Religious belief cannot be exercised outside of that. Have you heard that argument as well? It's exactly what Justice Alito warned about in his dissent in the Obergefell opinion from a couple of years ago when he said, yeah, sure, you'll be able to have your religious beliefs so long as you do so in the whispers of your own home. But dare to go outside of that, and you'll be, you'll be uh, made fun of. You'll be set apart. You'll, you'll be uh, chastised for it all, and, and eventually by the government, punished by it. Here we are. Uh, the predictions he made in that dissent are coming now true in the form of this kind of a bill and all the rest of the political winds that are blowing right now by the progressives, by those who, who have a different vision for what this country has been and should be. Uh, and we're seeing that that comes back to the detriment of faithful Americans all over the country. Uh, that is shameful, and uh, those who are listening ought to let their, uh, their, their uh, congressmen and senators know that uh, they want that you as as voters believe that we should have a robust public square that welcomes all varieties of religious beliefs within it. Well, a number of faiths, for example, my own Lutheran, requires us to actually have public expressions of our faith. And it's virtually impossible not to, isn't it? Right. And just imagine if that uh, public expression of faith, whatever it might be, whether that's uh, evangelism or, or simply, you know, meeting at your home for a Bible study, if that could be questioned. You know, it's a great example. We, we represent some Jewish clients up in New York, in Aramont, New York. And, and right now, they get together, of course, in their homes for study of, of their faith. And the city of Aramont is making it extremely onerous to be able to even use your home for that study. Uh, and they're having to spend tens of thousands of dollars to, to meet certain codes and obscure restrictions upon them where they say you can have a certain amount of square footage to use for religious purposes, and that includes the amount of spaces on your bookshelves. And so you've got to count the square footage of your bookshelves that have religious books on them. I mean, if you, we can't get together in our own homes to study our faith, where can we? Well, I know uh, sometimes I go out for lunch with my colleagues here at the International Center. And when we do, we always say grace at a public restaurant. Would this be endangered? You know, I, I, I worry about it because, you know, we've seen a lot of different situations like that. We represent Cambridge a Christian School down in, in Florida who, who tried to say a prayer over the loudspeaker prior to the state championship football game. And the powers that be there said, no, this is a city-owned stadium. You can't do that, even though Billy Graham had once used that very microphone to hold his rallies, not once, not twice, but three different times in that stadium. 
uh, you, you've got different situations like uh, town commissioners and city councilmen who want to open their meetings with public prayer and are being told, no, 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 you can't do that. That's a violation of the law. Look, it, it, I, I think the only way we avoid the situation that you described, the hypothetical of sitting down in a public place, in a restaurant, or wherever it might be, and being told you can't pray over your food before you eat it, I think the only way we avoid that is that we turn now as a people and say, no, we value the diversity that faith brings to our country. And unless you and I are teaching our children over the dinner table how important the expression of our faith is and the protection of that expression is by the government, we're going to begin to lose it. And the more we teach them, we've got to then go outward from just our dinner table and actually talk to our lawmakers and say, let me remind you why this is so important and bring out these examples and go to firstliberty.org and look at the examples of cases of students being told they can't bring their Bible to school and read it during the school time, uh, of reading about cases of city councilmen being told they can't open the meetings with prayer, even though Ben Franklin called for prayer at the Constitutional Convention, and going on down the list of of uh, Orthodox Jews being told they can't practice a millennia-old tradition uh, during Yom Kippur, and, and sweat lodge cases where Native Americans are being told they can't engage in their ancient religious heritage there, or or places like uh, the Fifth Ward of Houston, where a church is, being, is faced with the loss of their property being taken by the government because uh, they wanted to use it for religious purposes. And on and on down the list of these great uh, cases where you've got people being questioned for the exercise of their faith. So I, I would really encourage folks to equip themselves with that knowledge. Go to FirstLiberty.org and teach their kids about how important the free exercise of religion is, and then together remind our lawmakers that this is what contributes to the great diversity of our country and we should tolerate religious belief wherever we find it. Could you explain a little bit about what's available on your website, tools that people can use to educate themselves? Sure. At firstliberty.org, you can find out about all of our cases and, and, frankly, a good bit about our history as an organization as well, where we've got now about 30 years of defending religious liberty in this country. But, look, you can also get uh, a podcast at our uh, our website, firstliberty.org. We're just telling the story of religious history there. Uh, it's about a minute and a half long, so it's very easy to listen to. We've got updates on all of our cases and succinct uh, decisions about our cases or stories about our cases. There are videos that you can watch about them. And if you really want to get nerdy about it. We usually post all of our briefs and documents that we file on behalf of our clients on every one of our case pages as well. And not to mention, uh, we, we've got a uh We've got a weekly email that comes out that gives you up-to-date information about all of our cases that is really a fascinating read. So I would really encourage folks to go to firstliberty.org and see what pleases them there and what they want to stay up-to-date on and have it sent to their homes. Mr. Dice, I want to thank you very much for being on the program and shedding light on this issue. And you're right, it's extremely critical, and we live in perilous times, I think. Thanks, Kip. Always good to be with you. Anytime, sir. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO.
You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.